0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. It's like a jungle up there. Jungle of Beauty. I was thinking that walking in. I was like, my gosh, our church is so beautiful at Easter. I mean, all the time, but especially Easter time, right? It's just incredible. We have some amazing volunteers who beautify this church for these seasons. It's just awesome. Okay. Friends, I was praying about, uh, so the Feast of Divine Mercy in many ways is, is one of my absolute favorite feasts of the entire liturgical season which means I always just like struggle immensely to figure out what to preach because there's always just so much. The message of divine mercy is in many ways what the Lord... It's one of the, the central gifts, one of the supreme gifts of the resurrection. It's what the Lord in many ways came back from the dead to give us. It's the first word He speaks into the upper room of scared, terrified, just men riddled with shame. He comes into that very place and He speaks peace. He speaks peace that in response to their betrayal, in response to their failure, in response to their sin, there is a way out and it's called mercy because he comes and he says peace. John Paul II, when he established the Feast of Divine Mercy, he said it's the, it's the gift he wishes to hand on to the next millennium of the church, this message of divine mercy. It's such, it's such a huge, huge message, right? The, it's of such central importance You've heard me preach this before, but the word mercy, misericordiae in the Latin, from the compound word of miseria, which means misery, and core, which means heart, that this is the economic exchange between heaven and earth. When we give God our misery, he doesn't give us condemnation. He doesn't give us a slap. He doesn't give us a punch in the face. He doesn't slam the gavel down in judgment and say, you are, you are just lost. He's, when we give him our misery, he gives us his heart. That's how this works. That's the exchange rate. Here at Sacred Heart, we're just so blessed with this chapel of Divine Mercy, where I know many of us have spent hundreds, thousands of hours sitting in front of the Eucharistic presence of Jesus, looking at that image of Divine Mercy, just trying to soak it in. You know, one of the things that I know, whether you spend holy hours in there or just like you, just a parishioner here, one of the things I know about the human heart is that we have this incredible ability, this incredible tendency for exceptionalism. This is what I mean by that. Like we can think, and we often think, this whole divine mercy thing, this forgiveness business from Jesus, this might be true for other people, but it can't possibly be true for me. Like you don't know what I've done, Father. You don't know my past. You don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know how broken I am. You don't know my story. Like this whole divine mercy, there might be mercy available for other people, But I just don't think that it's going to be available for me. If that lurks in your heart in any way this morning, I'd like to tell you a story. It's one of the most incredible stories I've heard in a long time. I want to tell you a story to disavow you of that notion. It's the story of the conversion of the Commandant of Auschwitz. You probably don't know this story. His name was Rudolf Hesch, not the Rudolf Hesch who was number two to Hitler. This was a different Rudolf Hesch. Rudolf Hesch was born in 1900 to a very devout, strict Catholic family. He was a very devout young man. But early on in his teenage years, he had a, through a weird series of events, he, he mistakenly thought that a priest that he was close with broke the seal of confession. He, he thought this priest betrayed him. So as a result of this, he became incredibly jaded, cynical, and he just left the church. He left the faith entirely and he became really a committed atheist and he got taken in by the Nazi party. In his training, he was identified as someone with incredible leadership potential. Himmler pulled him out and kind of fast-tracked him in this sort of leadership uh, position. He brings him to Dachau in Bavaria and then later to Sachsenhausen to kind of lead some things up there. Eventually, Himmler brings him to Auschwitz in 1940 to oversee the operation of the Final Solution, which of course was the planned extermination of the Jewish people and all other undesirables, as Hitler saw them, right? So he was, he was in Auschwitz from 1940 to 1943, which means he oversaw the death, um, the execution of St. Maximilian Kolbe, who I know a lot of us have a great devotion to, and St. Edith Stein, or you know, her religious name, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Both of them died in Auschwitz under Hess's um, leadership, his tenure, obviously of course along with many, many millions of other uh, individuals. So the war ends, and like a lot of Nazi leadership, he escapes, he goes off, he's eventually found and arrested, and he's brought back to Nuremberg where he's tried for crimes against humanity. One of the things that the Allies decided to do was that those who were found guilty of these crimes, they were going to be sent back to the countries in which they committed these crimes in order to be dealt with there by the people, which means that Hesch was going to be sent back to Poland to face the Polish people, those whom he tortured and murdered by the millions. He was known as the Butcher of Auschwitz. The Butcher of Auschwitz, a man of zero empathy, a man of cold, heartless feeling, right? It's nearly impossible to wrap our heads around the evil, just the sheer level of evil, the mountain of evil that this man brought into the world, the heaps of corpses and the mountain of suffering and misery that he oversaw. If there's a more wicked human being than him, I don't know who it is. So he's brought back to Poland, and he's held in a prison in a little town called Wadowice. If you know anything about Polish history, you know that it's a very important town. It also happens to be the birthplace of another very famous Pole named Karol Wojtyla, who will go on to be named John Paul II. who establishes this very feast day, becomes the great apostle of mercy. So there is Hesh being held in a prison cell in Vadovice. He knows he's going to die. He's not afraid of dying, but what he's afraid of is being tortured. He's afraid of being tortured to death. And how could he not be afraid of that? Here are these people, many of whom, all of whom in many ways, their relatives, he oversaw their brutal treatment and torture. He saw their mass graves. He saw the gas chambers. These are the people who felt the ash of the crematorium rain down on them. This is the man who tried to exterminate a whole demographic of people. He's afraid of being tortured to death. But in this prison, Rather than experiencing torture, he experienced something that he could not have imagined. None of us could have imagined. He experienced something altogether unforeseen. He experienced not brutality, not retaliation. He experienced kindness. He experienced an attentiveness. He experienced them treating him with dignity. He wrote this. In the Polish prisons, I experienced for the first time what human kindness is. He says, Despite all that has happened, I've experienced humane treatment which I could never have expected and which has deeply shamed me. May the facts which are now coming, up, coming out <clears throat> about the horrible crimes against humanity make the repetition of such cruel acts impossible for all times. During his trial in Nuremberg, he readily admits that he was personally responsible for overseeing the death of about two and a half million people and the death of about 500,000 other people who died by wounds or malnourishment or any of those things. Three million people. And in this prison, experiencing kindness and mercy, experiencing dignity, his heart begins to soften. His heart begins to soften. Because in exchange for his misery... He was receiving kindness. He was receiving love. He was receiving a heart. and Then one day, which just so happened to be Good Friday, he hears church bells ringing in the air. This is a week before he's set to be executed. He hears church bells, and these church bells pierce him. And he calls for a priest to go to confession. Now, look, I've been a priest. This may all be... Uh, six years. I've heard some doozies in my day, but I have never heard, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been a couple decades since my last confession. I've, I've been pretty impatient, uh, I take the Lord's name in vain. I also oversaw the death of three million people in Auschwitz. Um, I've never heard that. I can't imagine what it's like to hear that. One of the things that I find most extraordinary about being a priest hearing confessions is that the church doesn't give you another option in response to all the sins that the person says. You look in the rubrics, the person could confess, I stole a Tootsie roll or I killed three million people in Auschwitz. And the response that the priest gives after giving a penance is, I absolve you from your sins. That's the only response to human misery is the heart of Jesus. So, Hesch calls for a priest. The guards, they try to do their best to find him a priest, but a lot of the priests were busy that day. It was Good Friday. And none of them, they found, could, ever, could speak German to hear his confession. That's when Hesch suddenly remembers an event that happened seven years earlier that there was a priest who he encountered in Auschwitz a, priest, a Jesuit priest by the name of Father Vladislav Lohn. He was a Jesuit who one day in 1940, he was out and about in Krakow when the Nazis came to the Jesuit house in Krakow and they rounded up all the Jesuit brothers. They rounded up this entire community of Jesuits and brought them to Auschwitz. Father Lohn comes back to the house and he realizes all of his brothers are gone. And he quickly puts it together that they've been taken to Auschwitz. And so what does he do? Father Lone goes to Auschwitz. He sneaks into Auschwitz. He crawls beneath the barbed wire to get into Auschwitz. He wanted to be with his brothers. He's rounded up. He's found by the guards. And the guards bring this priest to Rudolf Hesch. And they throw him down at the feet of Hesch. And they say, we found this man sneaking into Auschwitz. And Hesch was like, you know what this place is, right? He says, yes, I want to die with my brothers. Rudolf Hesch was so blown away by this man's courage and this man's faith, he said, leave, get out of here, go home. He kicks him out of Auschwitz. And that day, Good Friday, bells are ringing, his heart's being pierced. Father Rudolf Hesch suddenly remembers the name of Father Vladislav Lohn and says, find this man, find this priest. So the guards, the guards go to find him. And where do they find him? Well, Father Vladislav Lohn had been assigned as the chaplain at the Shrine of Divine Mercy, which is where Sister Faustina had lived. The guards go to find him, and he is at that time kneeling in front of the image of Divine Mercy when the guards go to bring him to Rudolf Hash. They stand him up and they say, you have to come with us right now. They bring him back to the prison in Vadovice, And Father Lohn hears the confession of Rudolf Hess, the butcher of Auschwitz. He pours his heart out and afterwards he makes an act of faith. Bringing himself back into communion with the church. The next day he comes back to the same prison cell with a pix. And in that pix is the heart of Jesus in the Eucharist. Rudolf Hesch receives communion, and according to the sworn testimony of the guards, he falls to the ground, curls up, and cries. He said he cried like a little boy. He cried like no one had ever seen anybody cry tears of sorrow, tears of shame, tears of regret. This priest became the means by which. That river, that flood of mercy which flowed from the pierced heart of Jesus reached that man, the most lost sheep possible. You don't get more lost than Rudolf Hesch, you don't get more wicked than this man. And through this priest on Good Friday of all days, the divine mercy of Jesus finds him. Because that's what mercy does. It's looking for the lowest place. This is who God is. This is what He is. This is is His heart. His heart is divine mercy. It's as if Jesus, with Rudolf Hesch's conversion, as if Jesus wanted to dangle in front of the jaws of Satan himself one of the choicest portions to say, you want this one? You can't even have this one. You can't even have Rudolf Hesch, because my mercy is bigger. My mercy is bigger. I will drown everything in the ocean of my mercy. Friends, if the Sacred Heart of Jesus bleeds for Rudolf Hesch, how could it not bleed for you? How could you not be excluded? This is how crazy our God is. He's come to kiss the merciless. Jesus comes Easter Sunday morning bearing his wounds to say, these are my trophies. My love is that good. It's, it, that's what it is. And he's saying to us the same thing he said to Thomas. That's, stop doubting. Do not be unbelieving. But believe. Believe. Amen.